Amen. Take a seat, everybody. Take a seat. Take a seat and pull out your Bibles. Welcome. Good to see you guys tonight. As the room gets brighter, I can see all your beautiful faces. Welcome to Wednesday night. It's best night of the week. I uh, hope that you've enjoyed your time here thus far. Hey, if you're brand new in the room, welcome. I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you uh, showed up tonight. I'm sorry if a pumpkin almost hit your head. Um, we don't typically do that, but like we kind of do that a lot, but it's whatever. Welcome. I'm glad that you're here. Super happy. Um, open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. If you've been with us for the past few weeks, we have been together in the book of Acts, and we have um, been seeing what the Lord has been doing throughout the, the early church and the first um, gatherings of the Spirit-filled church in uh, the book of Acts. And uh, this week is actually our last week in the book of Acts for a little bit. We're finishing out Acts chapter 3, and so it's been a blast. It's been a fun, thank you, a fun time. Thank you for following along and paying attention. And um, as you're flipping to Acts chapter 3, we're going to be in verses 11. I want you to uh, think about this word. This word's going to come up tonight in the, in the text, and it's in the title of our uh, sermon tonight, and that is the word refreshing. What do you think about when you think of something that is refreshing or a time of refreshment? Uh, for me, I think the most refreshing thing in the world, so raise your hand if you have ever cut or like mowed the lawn before. So there you go. All right. All right. People around the room, congratulations. A lot of younger people than I thought. That's good. I learned how to mow the grass in like seventh grade. My dad taught me and I was like, this is awesome. I love it. And then the second time I'm like, this is really tiring and takes like a ton of time. But then at that point I knew how to, and it was just kind of my job. And I had to mow the grass for like the next six years or whatever when I was in my parents' house. I got an allowance, and that was my parents allowed me to live in their home that they owned, and that was it. But, um, <laughs> and uh, so yeah, I cut the grass every single week, and I, you know, in New Jersey and then in Virginia where I lived growing up, it gets so hot sometimes in the summers, and it's really humid. So like, unlike here, we have it lucky here, it's awesome outside in the summer, but it would just get like, you would mow the grass, you would like rake up the spare grass or whatever, and then all of a sudden your hands are like green, with grass and sweat and then dirt. And all of a sudden you just have like a layer of glow on you that is just dirt and sweat and things like that. And that's gross. And I think the most refreshing thing in the world is in that moment after a long day outside in the humidity and the heat, sweating, working, is jumping into a fresh, clean and cold swimming pool. It's the best. Maybe you've been in that spot. Maybe if you're like a cross country runner, early season, right? Anyone in the room has ever done that, gone for a long run and then just jump into a pool? When it was like 150 degrees out earlier this past year, um, I went up to, I think it was Moulton Falls is the name, somewhere up north. I don't know. Is that a thing? Yeah. Not Moulton, no, not the big one. It was like you can swim around in it. I don't It's that one. Okay, Moulton Falls. I went there when it was super hot and there's a bajillion people. And it was so nice. The water was so cold, and it was just refreshing. It was so wonderful. I don't know if you can think of times like that in your life where you're like, yes, this is just the absolute best. The word is used in uh, the sermon that Peter is about to preach for a very specific reason. Peter uses this word to speak of something that is uh, more uh, than temporary. It's more than just a jump in the pool after you're really hot. It's more than just a season where you get to relax a little bit. Peter is speaking tonight about the refreshment of our souls in Jesus. 
So if you've been tracking with us the past few weeks in the book of Acts, we're finishing up our series. So let's just think about where we've been. Jesus, with his followers, he says, don't leave Jerusalem. Wait till the promise of the Holy Spirit comes. He ascends into heaven. The apostles wait. They do what God says. And they uh, receive the power of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. It's this miracle. And then Peter preaches a sermon. And then the church is united together, right? This is what we've been learning for the past few weeks. And last week, we met a man who was, uh, couldn't walk. He was uh, not able to walk, and the Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit, raised him up to be able to walk again. And that's where we pick up tonight. The same character, same setting, same people. We pick up right where we left off, and Peter now is able to give an explanation to the miracle like he did last time. There's two things tonight. Two things Peter says that in faith, Jesus has done and will continue to do. Two things that will change you if you believe in Jesus. These two truths are universal. These two truths, I believe, will change your life if you believe in Jesus and believe this to be true. Jesus heals and Jesus saves. It's those two things tonight that we're going to see from this text. Apart from Jesus, we cannot receive healing for our souls or forgiveness from our sins. Without him, our heart is, as St. Augustine says, restless until we find rest in him. He's the cure for restless hearts. He's the cure for hearts that need to be refreshed. He is the healer of broken hearts. We're going to see that tonight in the text. So pray with me as we dive in. Lord, be with us tonight. God, I pray for any distraction in the room that it may go away, that it would um, be eliminated. God, I pray that you would allow us to listen closely to these words. God, help us to believe that you heal the sick and you save the lost. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Acts chapter 3, verse 11, it says this. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw them, he addressed the people. So let's set the stage a little bit, right? We're at the temple. It was time to pray. It was time for these people to go and pray together. The man was healed right at the temple gates, and now they have entered into the inner part of the temple. It's a portico. So basically, if you could think of just a massive column right here, right? Do that. So massive column right here, and then maybe a massive column right there. And it's almost this outdoor hallway, so to speak. Right? And it just goes on for like, just like a really long time. And so they're in the middle of that. When the man who is healed is clinging on to Peter and John, whether it's out of emotion, excitement, whether he's crying, whether he's still like, my legs work, whatever it may be, he is clinging to uh, Peter and John. And the people who are going to the temple to pray, just normal kind of casual day, they see this man they've seen before, he's healed. And now all of a sudden, John and Peter are there. And Peter uses this as an opportunity to preach the gospel. He addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are all witnesses. And in his name, by his faith, in, in his name, he has made this man strong whom you see right now. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man perfect health in the presence of you all. 
This is the first point tonight that I want you to get. Jesus heals the sick. We talked about this last week. Jesus heals the sick. Verses 11 through 16 clearly show this. So Peter and John, followers of Jesus, followers of Jesus throughout his earthly ministry and are now following him after his resurrection and ascension. They do this incredible, they see this incredible, incredible miracle happen right before them. They pick him up and they use it immediately as an opportunity to preach the gospel. And they immediately take their attention and the eyes of the people looking at them straight off themselves. The very first thing, why do you look at us? Why do you wonder this? Why do you stare at us as if it was by our own power or wisdom or strength or anything? They immediately turn the story to a story about Jesus. They immediately set this scene and they're like, this is a perfect opportunity for us to tell these people about what just happened. And the answer is Jesus. And they said some things that would have turned some heads, that would have offended some people. And as we preach the gospel today, that still happens. But they do it here in the temple and they said, you, why do you look at us like we are the like we have done something in our own power? And they say a couple interesting he, things here. Verse 13, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified who? His servant, Jesus. They bring up these heroes of the faith, so to speak, right? They're not actually the heroes of the Old Testament, but they would have been viewed as these uh, leaders, these strong men who were literally the fathers of the nation of Israel. And so calling out their names in the center of the temple would have been like, oh my goodness, this guy better know what he's talking about. Because if he says something wrong, it could be really bad for him. He says, this man, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, right? The lineage of the house of Israel. He glorified, this God glorified his servant, Jesus. And you guys killed Jesus. You killed Jesus. These people who would have been sitting there going just to pray are now just shooken with this fact. Jesus has raised this person, right? He's healed this person physically and his followers are now preaching. It's interesting, we read this and it's immediately, we don't even know the name of the person who is healed. We don't know that his name or what happens to him after this, right? And, and Peter and John use this opportunity to immediately direct and deflect attention upwards to God. So when Jesus is moving, when Jesus is working in the church, in your heart, wherever it may be, he gets all of the credit and he gets all of the glory. That word glory, the evidence of God moving, the power of God, the things that you can see, the glory of God, Jesus is always the hero. They put themselves aside, they step aside and say, hey, it's all about Jesus. If you went to a museum and you saw a beautiful painting or a beautiful sculpture, some amazing, uh, priceless work of art, you wouldn't go up to it. Let's say it's a canvas and this beautiful painting and be like, man, I bet the, like, the brush that this guy used must have been pretty spot on, right? This specific paint, that color, yeah, that's, that's some really good paint on there. Maybe he had one of those cool things, right, where he like put all the paints and he mixed them. That, must, that thing must have been cool, right? If you're telling that to your friend, it's like, no. Who gets all the credit for someone who makes like a priceless work of art? The artist gets the credit. The artist always gets the credit. Everything else is just tools that he uses. And same with us in what God is doing. When God moves in your church or in your school or in your classroom or whatever, you know, your friend, maybe you've invited him to church a million times. He shows up and there's this incredible moment. You don't get to just say, okay, you know, that was kind of me. 
You know, like I was kind of, you know, forcing in the door a few nights. Or like, you know, I've been reading my Bible more and praying more. I, I must be growing in holiness. It must just be my thing. No, Jesus always gets all of the credit and all of the glory. Are you glorifying God with every opportunity in your life? Are you tempted to look to someone else or to possibly yourself? And what does this image of these men standing here after this incredible miracle, what does this image of them deflecting right to Christ show about how we need to be as believers? What does this show about us as um, believers? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. This God glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over to be denied in the presence, who had denied by the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. So in this moment, Peter is using this opportunity to glorify Jesus, but Peter also uses this opportunity to show that the physical healing is not the most important type of healing that we need. In the next few verses, he uses this miracle to speak of Jesus's healing power in a much more significant way. He uses this opportunity, this captive audience, and this person who's clinging to them as an opportunity to speak of a deeper healing that we're going to read about here. Look with me at this, uh, at verses 13 and 14 again. So we talked about it. Whom Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate, when he had decided to release him, but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life. Skip down to 17. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. So Peter doesn't hold back in, these, in, in his speech, right? He is with the very people possibly who would have sent Jesus to be crucified. If you're in the room right now and you don't know who Jesus is, Jesus was the son of God and he is the son of God. He lived about 2,000 years ago. He walked on this earth as a perfect man. He had no sin. There was no, um, there was no sin within him. And we believe that he was the substitutionary atonement for all the sins of the world. And in this very moment, Peter would be addressing people who were screaming, let him be crucified. So what does these verses mean, right? Okay, Pilate, I don't know who that is. Pilate, he denied over in the presence and they asked for a murder. What does that all mean? Jesus was accused wrongfully of sin, right? Jesus came, he preached about the kingdom of God above all else, and he spoke of himself as the son of God. And people didn't like that. People didn't want to be told the truth, and so they denied him. And they, in this moment, the, the time that Jesus would have been uh, executed was a time historically where Pilate would release a prisoner. He would release a prisoner for the people. And in this moment, Jesus was now up to be killed. And Pilate says, I find no fault in this man. He was a ruler at the time, and he, it would have had to pass through uh, him. Uh, every execution, right, would have to pass through Pilate. He says, I find no fault in this man. I find no problem with him. He's, he's preaching love and peace, and he is not doing anything wrong. But then they also had in captivity for something that was actually wrong, a murderer named Barabbas. And there was a crowd and the man said, should we have Barabbas? Should I give you Barabbas or this Jesus? And they said, give us Barabbas. We will take the murderer and we will give you this lamb, this perfect spotless lamb. 
This happens in all the Gospels, this account. The people were outraged and wrongfully sent Jesus to the cross and they welcome in a murderer. We would rather have Barabbas than Jesus. We would have a verified murderer be released to us and now engulfed in our presence than this Jesus man because we don't want to hear the truth anymore. And Peter is now reminding them of that very moment after this miracle. And what does he say? Of this, we are all witnesses. Peter's looking, he says, I know what you guys did right? The one who was conveniently hiding at the time is now out in the open through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he says, we're witnesses of that thing. And maybe you're in the room tonight, you're thinking, man, that must have been pretty harsh for them to hear. That must have been pretty harsh for them to hear. And there's a stunning revelation here when you look at this passage and you think of the weight of killing Jesus and offering up Jesus to be killed. And there's something that might stir in your heart because the reality is we can all find ourselves and we all have found ourselves in this very same position. And you're like, well, I have a good alibi. I was born in Vancouver, Washington in 2006. And and I want you to listen here with me. I want you to listen to what I'm saying here. All of us, because of sin, have separated ourselves from God. All of us, because of sin, have decided to allow us to give up good things for bad things, right? This is a symbolic thing, this moment where Barabbas is given over to the crowd. We at all, at one point in our lives, have decided to turn from what is good and welcome what is bad, to give away the author of life and welcome in an author of death, sin. That exchange that happened actually in real life is symbolic of what we have done as human beings, We have said, God, I know what you say is good is good, and what you say is not good is not good, but I'm just going to switch the two right now. You know, when Jesus says uh, to love one another, to serve one another, to treat others more significantly than yourselves, and you decide to be selfish, that is sinful. When Jesus creates and God creates a very clear picture of sexuality and sex, and you decide to do something that is the opposite of that, that is sin. When Jesus has uh, set aside, you know, he has given you things to bless other people, and you decide to hoard onto earthly possessions, that is sin. And when Jesus says to do something good and we do the opposite, and every single person in this room may have found themselves in that temple listening and realizing that it was because of our sin Jesus went to the cross. It was because of me choosing death over life that now I am in the seat of somebody who has committed an egregious crime. You can't separate yourselves from the people who put Jesus on the cross. I can't. We can't. There's a problem There's a significant problem here. But what's the solution? All right, that's the bad news first. We all have a problem. It's sin. It separates us from God. But Peter uses this opportunity to the very people who screamed, give us Barabbas, put this man Jesus on the cross. The people who would have screamed that are now listening with their same ears to Peter when he says this, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Verse 19 is so critical. Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed to you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the restoring of all things. 
about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses, all right, one of the heroes of the faith says this, Moses, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me. That's Jesus from you, brothers. You shall listen to him, whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed about these days, the days we are living in, friends. It says this, this is what Peter's saying. The days that we see Jesus walking on this earth, Samuel, Moses, all of them predicted these things. And then he gets really personal in verse 25. You are the sons of the prophets of the covenant that God made with your fathers saying to Abraham, Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel. Peter's saying you are literally biologically ethnically, religiously, you are the sons of this person who spoke about Jesus. And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. This is Peter's sermon in the temple. This is Peter's sermon in the temple. He is using the opportunity of a physical healing to show that the most important healing is not physical, it's spiritual. There needs to be a spiritual healing of all of our souls and that only comes through faith in Jesus, just like this healing was only through faith in Jesus. And so that's our next point tonight. Jesus saves the lost. Verse 17 through 26. All of this is speaking to that one truth that Jesus saves the lost. He uses this miracle and says a man who is broken like him, desperately in needing of healing, can be healed only by faith in Jesus alone. Jesus was the man that they were looking for all along. They were looking through all along through the prophets and through the men that came before him, but they didn't know it. They didn't see it. They didn't recognize it or they ignored it. They chose to rebel. They had the opportunity to return, but they didn't. But Peter is here with the very people who would have denied Jesus and saying, now, verse 19, repent, change your mind, turn back that your sins may be blotted out. So the question that Peter was asking to these people is who do you think Jesus is? Right, we're seeing the evidences of Jesus still working, but who do you think he is? It's a question that Peter would have been asking these people, but it's a question that has echoed throughout history for the last 2,000 years. And it's a question that you and I have to grasp ourselves as well. Who is Jesus? What has he done? Who do you believe him to be? When you see his name on a bumper sticker or you see his name in a Bible, what sort of things do you think? In this text, Peter points out three things, I think. Peter points out, one, that Jesus was the one foretold by the prophets for years. Verse 25 and uh, verse 22 through 25 show that. The person, you know, the, the, the prophets, uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joel, Malachi, all these people were predicting the person that you guys killed. So he was foretold by the prophets. Two, he was God's glorified servant who was accused and killed wrongfully. 13 and 14 show us that. And then he's the one who is raised to life and he's the one who raises others, right? Verse 16, this man was healed by faith in Jesus. Verse 26, God also raised Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so you and I, we're in a spot where we have to come to terms with the reality of our sin. If you don't think, you know, you've sinned in this room, if you don't believe in sin, 
And I can't really walk much further with you on this journey of the gospel. If you don't believe that sin is a real thing or you don't you think you're good enough to, you know, outbalance your bad things that you've done, then I can't really continue with you. But if you're in this room and you do believe that you have sinned, that's all of us in this room. We've killed the author of life, right? This ironic turning from life from death. Yeah, you can have Jesus, I'll take this death. But you and I are in the spot of those who killed Jesus. We're in the spot of the one who has uh, denied Jesus and is in need of healing. But there's good news. Because Jesus is the suffering servant. Because he is the promised prophet. Because he is the one that all of these men for thousands of years have spoke of. He defeated sin and he gave over the keys of death. He holds it in his hand. Now, if you and I repent and put your faith into him, there's a few other things that are also promised here. Look at verse 19. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. There's four things here that Peter points out. Four things that are the signs of a repentant heart. Four promises for the repentant heart. Number one, your sins will be gone. When you turn from sin and embrace Jesus in faith, number one, your sins would be blotted out. That Greek word there is excaphilio, right? Something along those lines. I'm not a Greek historian by any means. Excaphilio. That word, uh, you know, means eliminated, eradicated, gone entirely, blotted out. Isaiah 42, 25 says this, I am the one who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. That's the same exact word there, excaphilio, eliminated. It's the promise to the repentant heart. If you turn and embrace Jesus, your sins are blotted out forever. And then verse 20 says this, if you do this, your sins will be blotted out. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Imagine that, times of refreshing. The second promise that is fulfilled to the person who repents is that times of refreshment will come to them. That Greek word, anisphyxis, it's also seen throughout scripture. It's the idea that there is an overflow, that there is abundance, that there is peace. And Peter says, return so that your sins are gone and that you will receive the abundant presence of the Lord. In Psalm 66, that word is used, let the men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, yet you have brought us to the place of abundance. It's the salvation of God, that same word there. What else happens? Number three, Jesus will return for you and for his church. If you turn so that he may send the Christ appointed to you, Jesus, they're still waiting and we are in return still waiting for the second coming of Jesus. But he's telling these people, he is calling these people to return and repent so that their sins are gone, so that they will experience spiritual blessings in the presence of the Lord, and they will, have, uh, they will be received with Christ when he returns again. And there's one final thing that he promises in verse 26. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. The person who repents is blessed by righteousness. Those are four things. Your sins are gone. You will experience times of refreshing. Jesus will return for you, whether in life or in death, and you will be blessed by his righteousness. So Peter puts it on the table. All of this down. He was there. He saw it. I was a witness to when you gave over the author of, of life 
for a murderer. But that's not where the story ends. That's not where our story ends. Repent, turn. Turn, therefore, and experience the overflow, the blessings of the presence of God. And this sermon has echoed throughout history for people. They have to recognize that they have sin and that there needs to be a solution, a payment, an atonement for their sin. And so the question that you have to ask yourself tonight is who is Jesus to you? And have you trusted in him as your savior? Or are you trying to find refreshment, power, strength, joy from other things that are simply leading you to broken cisterns, to dead-end roads, to times of drought? Or have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? And in this room right now, you might be asking, well, what am I supposed to do? And the word there is very simple in verse 19. It's a word that we don't like in our culture. It's a word that is offensive, but it is the truth of the gospel, and it's to repent to turn. That word there means to turn, to change your mind. It's not emotional and it's not intellectual, right? It's some combination of both of those things. It's not simply feeling bad and then just, you know, I felt bad and then I don't. No. And it's not just saying, oh, I know I shouldn't, right? It is knowing that you need to turn and feeling the weight and consequences of sin and completely doing a 180. It's driving down one lane in the highway and then taking the next exit, turning around and going the complete opposite way. And that's the first step. We need to repent. It means to turn. And what's interesting here in verse 26 is that the result of turning and the reward of turning are the exact same thing, and that is the presence of the Lord. The result of turning and the reward of turning is Jesus. And so all this tonight, what Peter lays out in this text, you read it for yourself. The main idea is that true healing and refreshment comes only by faith in Jesus. True healing, true refreshment only comes by faith in Jesus. It's the question you have to ask yourself, who is Jesus to me? Like the people listening to this, maybe some of them thought that, you know, Jesus was an okay guy. Maybe they thought that he was a prophet. You know, maybe they thought that he was, uh, you know, speaking good things. Many in the crowd maybe thought the complete opposite, that he is a heretic and he deserves to die. But he was God's son. And now they have to ask themselves, is Peter telling the truth? Is Peter telling the truth? You and I, we chose to sin. But if we would return, if you would return, you will experience your sins being blotted out, gone, eliminated. Times of refreshment, Jesus will return for you and you will be blessed by the righteousness that God has earned. That is the promise to those who would turn and repent. It means to turn. It's not just an emotional thing or an intellectual thing. It is a life-changing moment. I love that word there. Times of refreshing. Do you need to be refreshed? Do you in this room need to be refreshed? Maybe for someone in the room, it's their first time tonight, recognizing that they have sin and they, they need a savior. Maybe it's someone's first time in the night, recognizing that they have a problem and Jesus paid the problem and that they want to be refreshed by God. Or maybe you're in the room tonight and you are a Christian, and I pray that the majority of you are, and I know many of you to be Christians in this room, followers of Christ. 
but maybe there's a specific sin that you've been wrestling with that you need to repent and turn from. And maybe that this gospel is something that you need to preach to yourself every single day. This gospel, the true gospel, not the feel-good gospel, the try-hard gospel, the repent and turn to Jesus gospel so that your sins may be blotted out and so that you would be refreshed. Imagine that word, refreshment, refreshment. The call to repentance is not a call that is made out of guilt or obligation. The call to repentance isn't made out of some sort of uh, religiousness. Like it's not out of some sort of habit. The call to repentance is a call to times of refreshing in the presence of God, whether you're Christian or not, maybe for the first time or the hundredth time. It is not a call out of guilt, obligation. Stop believing those things. It is a call to refreshing, to true healing. It's a call to still waters and overflowing cups. It's a call to bread that will satisfy. It is a call to peace in a time when your heart was at war. That is something that only comes from the presence of God. And maybe there's something you need to turn from. Maybe it's for the first time or for the hundredth time. But the call and the promise that Peter echoes here is true for us today. Your sins will be gone. Guilt and shame is gone. All of those things are gone. Times of refreshing will come. Jesus will return for you and you will be blessed by his righteousness, like it says. Look at that. By turning every one of you from your wickedness. That is the blessing. The blessing is being separated from sin and in the presence of Jesus. That's the blessing. That's what we get to experience. Right? It's not a, okay, I got to, uh, you know, get out of hell free card. No, it's not that. It is to Jesus constantly, to know him deeper because eternal life with him starts the very moment that you encounter him. And it continues on until you die and get to see him face to face. But it starts right now. It is to seasons of refreshing and to overabundance of joy. Not worldly possession or earthly kingdoms. It is a call to suffering and to serving, but to knowing him deeper and to knowing him more. The call to repentance, it's a call to times of refreshing. That word there, that means eliminated, right? It means blotted out. That same Greek word is used later in the book of Revelation when it says Jesus will wipe away every tear. Jesus will eliminate every tear. It's this beautiful moment that is connected here. Sin itself and the consequences of sin are gone. Eliminated. The sin that separated you from Jesus and the sin that hurts you here on earth eliminated one day because of Jesus. Blotted out. So as the band comes up and as they play, I, I want us to do this. I want us to just take a moment for you in your heart to bow your head, to close your eyes. When you hear these words, when you hear the truths that are represented here from Peter and from, uh, from God's Holy Spirit more so than Peter, but from the Holy Spirit hearing these words, if there's guilt and obligation that you are feeling right now, if there's some sort of uh, you know, anxiety. If you've, if you've heard a gospel call that is ridden with earthly anxiety, then I'm sorry about that. Because the true gospel, yes, it makes no apologies for sin. It addresses sin. 
but it is a call to the abundant life that is found with Jesus, to seasons of refreshing. So in the quietness of your heart in this moment right now, maybe you know Jesus and you've been with him and I I pray that you believe that to be true and I, I pray that you are there. Maybe there's a specific sin or something that you want to turn to, you need to turn from. God's throne is open. He is willing and ready to listen to you. And maybe it's your first time ever recognizing that you do have a sin problem and that Jesus paid it all. And you need to repent and change your mind about those things that the Lord is convicting you about right now. And maybe it's the very first time that has happened. Then the throne is also open to you. The feet of the throne, the presence of God is open to you as well. Wherever you may be, all across this room as you close your eyes, I pray that you would just take a moment now. I'm not gonna lead a prayer. I'm not gonna ask you to do anything. But I want you to take the next minute to pray as you see fit, as the Lord guides you and directs you. Times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. A call to overflowing cups, to still waters, to peace when there was war. That is the call of repentance. That's the true call. So whatever it is in your heart in this moment now, bring it to the Lord. Don't distract anyone. Don't do anything else. Just be God's presence. We're gonna sing here in a minute.